Welcome to episode 126 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate podcast network. I'm James Langer, joined this week by Ryan Top and Brad Ford in for Paul Noonan. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, planning to uh, just kind of hunker in uh, for the snowstorm. Yeah, I've got yeah. to drive a three and a half hour drive later tonight when the roads are hopefully cleared. Otherwise, I'm stuck yeah. here. So yeah, that that drive from lacrosse can be it's usually a straight shot. But if it's snowing, it's it's not fun at all. Yeah, I can do it in a, a pretty reasonable amount of time in good conditions In bad conditions. I've had some really rough drives. I had one. It was a Christmas morning drive when we were coming up. I was so tense and so locked in on the road trying to keep us from sliding off into a ditch that when we got to their place, I literally went into the bedroom laid face down and passed out because it was just like <laughs> my body was just like nope you need to sleep now because just white you knuckling were just, it the entire way yeah, yeah you were so keyed up which that was that was kind of spooky i was like oh i didn't even know that that like could happen just tension headache the entire way as right. like the stress is running up your shoulders and your temples yeah no not fun at all hopefully though uh, snow wraps up soon. It might be snowing here as we record this, but as far as I'm concerned, spring starts this week, right? With pitchers and catchers reporting. So we have plenty to talk about there. As always, you can help people find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's tailgate on Apple podcast and Spotify. We do have a lot of questions to get to today, but if you want to send us a question to talk about, you can always follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. Um, also individually, Ryan is at RD top. Brad is at brew crew blue and I'm at James L. You can also email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our MKE Tailgate Facebook page and send us a message there. You can also help support the podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Ball and Glove and Above patrons will get the monthly minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad and Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods throughout the Packers offseason. You also get a shout out here on the podcast when you become a patron and get question priority when we do get to this week's questions as always we are sponsored by carbon four brewing and their english style malt bombs and perfectly balanced top grenades you know the great beers including dragon flute block party and the flagship fantasy factory you can celebrate flagship february at their taproom on kinsman boulevard and madison's east side you can also get a deal on carbon four merch online using our promo code mke tailgate at carbon four.com carbon four beer brilliance well, guys, the big topic conversation over the past few days has been the individual Pakoda projections that came out on Thursday. And I think if we could summarize them in one word for the Brewers, it would be ouch. So Brandon Woodruff and Christian Yelich, good news. They're considered stars. You know, Yelich is ranked ninth among the batters in warp. Brandon Woodruff was actually 17th in all the majors, tied with Zach Renke. So that's something good to feel about. But the rest of the lineup looks a little rough. Uh, Ryan, what are your initial reactions to what we saw? Yeah, I mean, this is I guess we shouldn't be shocked because the whole point of this offseason was to build up depth. And so you were going to have a bunch of guys who are, you know, between like uh, half a win and like two wins. And that is kind of what we see here is a lot of guys in that neighborhood. And then, you know, very few actual stars on the team. And that is what they're going to try to make work. And that's what they're going to try to push through. And so I guess I'm, I'm not really shocked. I was a, it was a little bit jarring to see some of the things being low, but like, I, I don't think we should be particularly, you know, 
stunned at at anything that's on there. We'll get to the one big one in, in just a moment. I don't want to uh, take away that question, but it's not it's not shocking. And we'll see the the team projections come out on Monday. So around the time you're probably listening to this, or maybe they're already even out at that point, the team projections will be out there, and we'll see what those end up looking like. My guess is they're going to be decent. We'll we'll see. It, it's not going to be a complete nightmare. Brad, your thoughts? I actually I am not shocked at all if not maybe even a little bit pleasantly happy with the outcome uh i think given what they've how they've constructed their roster i was expecting a little bit more negative projection in the regular uh contributors like jerko i thought would have a little bit more of a negative grade but they're using a lot of bits and pieces that um they're hoping for resurgent seasons and projections like pakoda can't really predict extremely good seasons from guys the Brewers are hoping are going to overperform on their six around their troubles last year. So for me, it was just what I expected. Um, the holy grail for Pakota, in my opinion, is the records that they project, which, as Ryan pointed out, we're not we don't have in our hands just yet. Uh, so the player projections I feel like are a little bit harder and are going to have more variance. When you look at last year's, you know, you have one and a half wins for Jesus Aguilar. Um, so obviously it's not always spot on and how it expect or sets expectations for players going forward. I hope that uh, the Brewers are going to have a lot of success in their current structure of kind of hedging on low risk, in terms of financial impact, high reward in terms of rebound uh, players in situations. And I think based on what we're seeing here, a lot of half warp players, it, you know, that's exactly what we should have expected given their strategy this offseason. Yeah. Looking at Jerko specifically, I was surprised they only have him projected for 84 plate appearances, which I think is crazy low. Even it's though be way more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have him at 245, 317, 441. And that like if he's hitting that dude's going to get plate appearances like there's no question like that's not a great line. That's not outstanding, but he's definitely going to get time on the field, at least against left handed pitchers. And so I, I can't imagine it being that low. Uh, the other one that really stood out to me as being particularly low, though, it shouldn't have. And Paul, we were chatting about this uh, and he pointed out that I shouldn't really be surprised, but. Justin Smoke, 223, 332, 433. If that turns out to be the thing, he is going to lose time. I would imagine Ryan Braun would get a lot more playing time if that turns out to be correct. So I think there's a good chance he rebounds more than that, especially like in the power department. Right. Just moving. Yeah. You know, lefty swinger in Miller Park. He should at least get a few to sail over to help him out there. Also, it's, I think, important to remember that projection systems, you know, sort of by their definition, tend to be conservative, right? They're not going to overly over-project for somebody nine times out of ten. Um, so a lot of these are sort of like, you could maybe think of them as sort of like baseline performances. Or these are, you know, what we're talking about are the 50th percentile, most likely, outcomes. But it's not going to account for, you know, a Christian Yelich MVP type season, Um with that said, there was one especially worrisome projection that Ryan kind of hinted at, and we got a lot of questions about this too. Uh, Keston Hira is actually projected to be, um, according to Baseball Prospectus, one of the top hitters that will disappoint this year. Um, 
you know, and they were kind of looking at it in terms of a fantasy uh, perspective, but just overall, they only projected him to hit 254 on base average of 317, uh, only slugging 448, 22 home runs in about 560 plate appearances, which sounds about right. But obviously that overall line uh, would be problematic for the Brewers, considering how much they're probably counting on him to kind of be the number two behind Christian Yelich. Uh, That leads us to our first Patreon question from Adam Post asking about that rather uninspiring stat line. And he's wondering what the explanation would be for that. So, Ryan, do you want to take that question away? Yeah, so I think it's important, first off, to look at what Pakoda generally kind of looks at when they're assessing hitters like this. One of the big things they really concern themselves with is strikeouts. And Cura has high strikeout numbers. And he, when he makes contact, he makes really good contact. And you can see that if you look at some stat cast numbers, he's in the top 10 with, you know, barrels and things like that. So when he makes contact, he does a really good job of making contact, but he does miss a lot as well. And I think that if you really want to see like why this shouldn't be a shock that Keston Hero was low and really I think I don't want to say, like, don't believe Pakoda because that's, you know, every homer's thing when they get a projection that they don't like for their team. But I think there is something legitimate about, like, Pakoda does have a lower opinion of Keston Hira in general. Like, last year, if you go back and look, uh, he was projected at hit, to hit 241, 280, 405. And he absolutely murdered that line. Like, absolutely destroyed it. And so they've obviously upped it like he's projected to hit more this year than he was projected last year, but it's still on the low side for him. And I think that as he goes through and continues to rack up plate appearances, you will start to see Pakota catch up with that and start to believe more and more in the skills. But I don't want to completely dismiss Pakota and say that there's nothing there because there's often like at least a, a kernel of truth to the idea that, okay, If a guy does have big swing and miss issues, but makes good contact when he does make contact, that could be problematic at times if he stops making that good contact. You know what I mean? Like if if something slightly changes there, it can be a, a real cascading effect and you can really see a fall off. So there's at least a reason for it to be concerning. Like it. It doesn't hint at the idea that Keston here is some no doubt surefire superstar, which I think is the way a lot of us are inclined to think about him, me included, is he is an emerging star with the bat at least. And maybe that isn't quite as true as we would hope, but ultimately we just have to wait a little while because a system like Pakoda is predicated on getting lots of reps and getting lots of data. And right now we just don't have a lot of major league data for Hira. And even the minor league data is kind of spotty because he didn't start until relatively late and missed some time in there as well. So I think we we do have to give it some time before really passing judgment. Brad, are you worried at all? No, because I I get I'm with Brian. He's an incredibly hard prospect and now major league player to judge. A lot of the strikeouts, I think, are very anecdotal when you look at it. Uh, Keston here goes through brief periods of struggles where the strikeouts become super high because he's an immature or not immature, but younger player who's still maturing with his skill set. He really trusts his bat. And when you have a 65, 70 bat or hit tool, you can definitely justify trusting that skill to dig you out of bad situations. So what happens is he goes through these large burst periods of high strikeouts 
and then he'll do two, three weeks of just, you know, the Keston here, a phenomenal hitting 350, uh, 900 OPS, uh, just phenomenal performance. So those strikeouts and contacts kind of are just very concentrated into these short little struggle periods he goes through and every athlete goes through, in, especially in baseball. So Pakoda, when they look at those strikeout numbers and they see a strikeout rate above 30 percentage without that anecdotal or contextual circumstance, of course, they're going to see a player with high risk in it, and they need to go on the lower side of that risk evaluation. However, if you do a case study of Hira and you look at those situations, you you can see like, oh, okay, he isn't striking out a lot because he just swings from his heels and has bad control of the zone. It's just he he swings a lot because of his confidence, and that leads to a situation that is less than ideal, but you can at least understand why that strikeout period happens, and the context behind it just creates a whole new story behind what's happening. So you'd so, expect those periods then to become less over time, like those he would go through less periods like that? Absolutely. I think as he comes to understand what his uh, skill set actually can produce, he'll become more controlled in the zone, which will lead, which will transition more walks, less strikeouts. I think that's a maturity thing that Kesson here is going to have to go through when you watch him in the minors. Um, you see a lot of uh, that impatience with the zone when he's in those struggling periods. And part of what Major League Baseball will force him to do is eventually transition that into a more tactful approach when he's at the plate. So I think with age, you're going to see more walks from Kesson Hero, less strikeouts, because he's going to have a better idea of how to get over those bad periods and come out of them. Because he has that elite skill set, and elite players eventually learn how to play the game in a high, to a higher level um, and not necessarily flounder through those lows. This is where we insert the I want to believe meme like yeah <laughs> i think we, we all are in this in the situation going yeah I, I think this is low for him and it's not great but i don't necessarily buy into their level of skepticism i i've just watched so many keston here played appearances tracked so many lines and watched him so or like throughout the minors i've been obsessed with him since he was drafted because going into that draft i knew he could be the top bat in the entire draft who's going to actually likely fall further than when the Brewers drafted him because of the UCL injury. So he's always been a guy where I viewed him as must-see TV. Obviously, we know I watch a lot of MILB TV, and Hira was always someone who I put on every time he was at uh, the plate so I could actually watch him. And what I've seen is those strikeouts really only come in periods where in like bursts. He'll have like 20 strikeouts a week because he has a bad week. And then he goes three weeks where he's hitting 340, 350, walking, only has like six strikeouts. That's just the player he is right now, and it's purely a maturity thing. And that's something that the projections aren't studying. They, that's not what they're based off. They're based off statistical analysis. And you look in every other time you look at a 30-plus percent strikeout rate, you see volatile hitter who has problems with the zone cannot be highly successful to a like five win role that's just what you see and it makes sense but i think once you actually do the case study on keston hira and i think a lot of superstars in baseball fit into this little bubble they're different they don't fit with the projections all the time 
So it makes it harder to project them because they don't have that normal kind of feel and results of the other players around them. Right. And, our, you know, our friend Jonathan Judge from Brewers Twitter actually helped develop this new Pocota formula. And he even was saying this week, you know, talking about some of these productions and here specifically that it's entirely possible that here is a bit of a unicorn, right? Kind of like to Brad's point, um, these, you know, when you have a truly transcendent talent, they're not going to fit into these projection system boxes. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily a fault of the projection system. It's just that it, you know, it ha- those are outlying data points, right? So it's a little bit harder for that to kind of square away. Pocota is not going it. to believe in a unicorn until it right. sees it like over a extended period of time. Like they're not going to assume unicorn. They're going to hear hoofbeats and assume horse, right? So right. Like exactly. that's, that's what the system is designed to do. Right. And you even see it with Yelich a little bit, you know, like it's always going to undersell what he actually does because it, you know, that what Yelich ends up doing is 70th, 80th, 90th percentile performance. They're always going to fall back to that 50th percentile or so. So I think that's important to keep in mind with Keston Hira too. But, you know, it, it, Kind of bo- to both of your guys' points, the fact that he's only had one year in the ma- in the majors, it, it's hard for the algorithm to figure out exactly what it is. It's hard for us to even with our human eyes to see because, you know, to steal uh, a JP line, we haven't really seen him fail yet. You know, maybe Brad's a little bit different. He's been tracking him through the minors, so he has seen those cold stretches he was talking about. But for the most part, we haven't seen him fail at the major league level yet. So we still have this high expectation of what he should be. And when we see these projections, it doesn't really square away with what our perception is right now. Yeah. And to your point about Yelich, like look at what Yelich's projections are. 296, 388, 559. You know, that's not anywhere near what he did last year. And it's not anywhere near what he did in the second half of 2018 either. But Pakoda is based on a number of years, not just the last two years. So they're baking in Granted, at a lower level, they're still baking in what Yelich was in 2016, 2017. You know, they're still baking those into their projection system. So it takes time for a player to like truly establish, hey, this guy is great. And that's why when you look at like Trout, Trout kind of stands out because Trout has never been anything other than great. And even there, they still kind of project him on the low end of his sort of established range. They don't project him to be an 11 win player. They expect him to be, you know, an eight and a half win player. So right. because everything, again, to James's point, everything skews back towards the average with projections because they don't want to project outliers. So, right. It's just part of it's, the deal. It's most likely outcome. They're never going to project somebody to be an all time great. Right. And sophomore and too, like even looking at the time for when Kestin here is, which the projections don't necessarily look at times and like historically how the struggles go in a sophomore season. But this will be. Keston here is biggest season, a struggle likely because it's going to be the first season where he has to regularly adjust to the scouting reports compared to what he had to do his rookie season. Right. So there there's even more variance because, you know, going back to Jim, we haven't seen him struggle. We don't know how he's going to come over that. He hasn't really seen himself struggle. Even in the minors, his struggles were minimal because he was always a more advanced bat than the competition was in right. terms of pitching. So, and he was playing in some pretty friendly ballparks when he was in the minors too, which helped a lot. Yeah, well, there still is a lot of variance in his play, even for someone who's watched every minor league at bat like me, because 
we don't know what that's going to look like. Obviously, the major league counter to a player like Kesemhira is a lot different than what he's getting in the minor leagues once they get that data. So there, there is still a wide variance in how his performance could look depending on how people face him. Right, absolutely. And kind of to your point, major league pitchers are more capable of exploiting those holes in the swing than some schlub at double A would be, right? And, so And purposeful, because a lot of times in double A you're not necessarily you're pitching to your plan versus because you're have your own development plan right. that you're going over and not necessarily pitching to a scouting report. Exactly. Um, so we had mentioned before that the over, we're still waiting for the overall team projections as we record this. They'll come out on Monday. Um, so by the time you listen to this, you'll probably have them. We don't, but we're kind of just eyeballing everything now based on the individual projections. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, Ryan, you were saying you don't think it'll be quite that bad. I think it's probably likely they come in below where they are being predicted for zips or in Vegas, which is like that 85 win range. But I guess question to both of you, we'll start with you, Brad. Um, based on the individual projections, where do you think the Brewers stand in the division right now? In the division, I think third place, 82 wins, about. They're about, yeah. It, it's hard because everybody is kind of, you know, in this yeah. muddled mess in a division. It's going to be a super competitive division. but Right, and it, there's still variables that we don't know. The Cubs are still theoretically trying to trade Chris Bryant. The, and if they lose an MVP caliber player, that puts them in fourth place. But if they keep him and uh, David Ross is able to have a huge impact on the team's output and able to put together a more successful game plan than they've had in the past with Madden, um, you know, they become the third place team and the Brewers drop to fourth. I think it's going to be very competitive. I think it's hard to see with how much they're going to be beating up on each other, a 90 win team. Um, if there is one, I really only see it being the Cardinals. And I don't know if, you know, the weekly topic of conversation, are the Cincinnati Reds good yet? Um, <laughs> Everybody's know, favorite game show. Yeah, uh, which, yes, but I think they're only about as good as everyone else. And it, those games, those 16 or so games they end up playing against each other is really going to determine the shape of the division in my opinion so i i kind of see the brewers being middle of the pack and maybe tied for third place at 82 wins sure ryan how about you so i probably should go higher than this but i'm always chicken when it comes to the final <laughs> decision on stuff like this i'm going to say that pakota is going to have them at 83 and part of the reason i think that it's going to be lower is because we have seen you know a a pretty decent uh, amount of skepticism on individual performances in what they have. So I think that's there. But I think we do have to remember last year that there was some skepticism of individual performances last year as well. And they had the Brewers projected at, what was it, 89 wins and winning 89. the division? Which and they is, nailed 89 wins. They nailed exactly 89 wins, though re in reality, Pakota would even, like, they would tell you it was still wrong because the Brewers Pythag was not 89 wins. They were just sure. barely above a 500 team. They were what, like 82 and 80 by Pythagorean record. So yeah. that actually doesn't really. Uh, but I, I think that the, the things that they believed in that Pakota believed in as far as the Brewers running their roster and, and doing those things, they're going to continue to believe in the Brewers doing those things. So they're going to give them a nudge forward. It could be higher than that as well, but I'm I'm going to say 83 and I'm still probably going to guess the over on it though only slightly. 
but we'll get to that when we do our season projections. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think the thing to keep in mind, we didn't really get into other teams individual projections here, but you know, I know Paul was doing a lot of work on this, t- kind of taking a look at how the other teams in the division stacked up and he and I I think are on the same page starting to pick up momentum on the Reds a little bit just on the sheer amount of, you know, 2 3 4 war players that the Reds picked up as opposed to the Brewers adding a lot on the margins as we were kind of talking about focusing on the depth the Reds I think probably um, have kind of the advantage now on higher end talent but their depth isn't as great so I think you know I know Ryan you've been kind of talking about this sort of being a referendum of sorts on roster building strategy as opposed to you know stars and scrubs as opposed to team depth Yeah, that's really kind of what it is, though. The Reds have a little bit more depth now than I I, I should give them more credit because they do have extra outfielders and they have extra infielders. So they have some ability there and their pitching should have some depth to it. They keep improving their pitching depth uh, here and there. So it's getting better from that perspective, but it's still not anything like what kind of depth the Brewers have. So we'll see. It, it, It still is a contrast. Sure. It's funny looking at the Reds because it, they're definitely set up in this win now atmosphere where before they did the traditional, were shaping up to do the traditional rebuild. They had those top 30 prospects that were going to really contribute to the team like a Senzel. And then instead they just lean hard into sign all the good boys or all the B boys uh, of the good tier. But each year they're going to get older now. And they're not going to have room for their youth. And then every year they get older, they're going to slowly pan out to be worse. Where the Brewers are set up in this position where, oh, we can keep the good boys because we gave them options and we can send out the bad boys. So despite like my ragging on like the Brewer system, when you look at what her, the Brewers plans this offseason, when you look at like how they're set up, I still like love how the Brewers have that flexibility set up compared to the Reds, where the Reds are like, hopefully we do something good in two years because in three years we're all going to be 38 and falling apart on the field and turning into dust right in front of your eyes a la uh, the last crusade. They chose poorly? Yeah. Yes, they chose poorly. <laughs> but it might work in the short term. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, they're kind of seeing the opportunity now in a wide-open division, right? Especially if the Cubs and the Cardinals aren't especially trying to be good. I think they kind of saw that as their opportunity. And yeah, maybe this is a one and done situation, but they're trying to be as good as they can be for that one. Speaking Um, of which, did you guys see the comments from Theo Epstein about how they knew as soon as the last CBA came out that they were going to have financial flexibility problems in 2020 and 2021. (laughs) And he said that right away, he knew when he saw how that CBA was structured that that's what it was going to be, and they were going to be in a position like this. And I think it it goes a long way to sort of explaining this is why the 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 uh, the last CBA negotiation really was a failure by the players' union because they sure. put themselves in this terrible situation. Teams are just responding to incentives, and they're just doing what like like business school teaches them to do because that's where all these guys got their education. Sure. Now it's business schools. They weren't baseball guys. They were all Harvard educated business majors. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So who held the gun to Theo's head then and made him sign a $200 million player with one good season? Oh, no, no. <laughs> we're talking that that was done before. Yeah. I'm just saying like 
he wants to blame the CBA and say like, oh yeah, I knew I was going because of how the CBA structured. I knew I was going to have the team or have financial struggles in this period of time. And now we have to go fix that. He's posturing for the new CBA negotiations on behalf of the owners. All I see this is, is a posture where he's like, nope, we need to set up bad. Hey, this is why free agency spending has been hard. Yada, 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 yada. But they're the ones like he's acting like there was there was a force pushing down on them to sign players with huge injury histories like you darvish to gigantic contracts to sign the most volatile major free agent in the last decade in jason hayward to sign instead of like focusing on the players who actually led the wins on that damn team and all the minor league players that they brought up from their core and all the uh small half season rentals that they ended up acquiring and he's acting like no no theo you don't get to do woe is me screw you man (laughs) (laughs) i think i think part of it maybe to brad's point maybe he's just posturing uh to try to get some pr points especially in the middle of the chris bryant situation like if you're going to try to dump an mvp which we'll get to another one of those situations in a couple minutes here it kind of helps to be Oh, sorry, our hands were tied. We really don't want to trade away this MVP, but woe is us. Of course, but I'm on team. Uh, The owners don't get to play these cards anymore. Yeah, the The thing is, I could see it like slightly differently here, though, because he's blaming the CBA, which the owners love and won, right, for what's happening. So he's actually kind of putting it like he's actually kind of helping the players argument out here saying, hey, this is not necessarily my decision. This is something that's been determined by ownership through the CBA negotiations that have put restrictions on me as a GM for what I would do if I had my choice. Now, do the do the owners in New York, Chicago, those areas that can spend $300 million on a team and not bat an eye at it because they have their own networks, because they have their giant markets, because they have advertising opportunities that other teams don't have at their fingertips. Do they really want the current CBA? Do they want the luxury tax situation? Do they want to be paying a free 15% or whatever the tax is on top of what they're paying over a certain average though? Because I've always gotten the impression that the few owners that hated it were the owners who could spend that type of money. But now we're facing a penalty because they had that freedom and because they built up the success in the markets they're in. I'm sure at times they resent it like, hey, I would like to get this player on a contract that we would like and bring him in and he would help our team win. But I can't justify it because the luxury tax is hanging over me. I'm sure at some point they resent that. But I think in the larger picture, they absolutely love it because it allows them to just pocket just shit tons of money like they get to make money hand over fist. And this puts a what they've always wanted to do, which was to limit the amount that uh, they have to spend to get players. And by putting this cap in place, and it is even though it's like not actually technically a cap, it is treated as such. And it was predictably going to be treated as such based on the CBA. Uh, that they get to save a bunch of money, and that's ultimately what they really want. So I'm sure there's some conflicted feeling about it at at certain particular moments, but overall, I think they're they're hogs and slop. I mean, they love it because this keeps the costs of players down and makes them just you know piles and piles of money for their money bins to go swim in, like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Well, 
uh, speaking of slop in today's uh, segues, uh, the Boston Red Sox are in a bit of a messy situation right now. They're still kind of waiting to see the results of baseball's own investigation into their own cheating. In the meantime, it sounds like an old familiar friend is set to take over. Uh, Ron Renneke is being rumored as the next manager of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Predictably, I think a lot of people, uh, Brewers fans online, had a lot of fun, maybe kind of mocking old Ron. But, you know, he was a good manager for quite a long time for the Brewers. And I know, Ryan, you have been very strong in your defense of Ron Renneke in the past, I guess. How do you feel about him getting another shot? Yeah, I mean, this seems like a situation that is set up for him to fail in because the Red Sox are it's not great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Red Sox are in turmoil. The expectations are huge and they should be. The Red Sox do have a bunch of really good players, but they also have a transitional roster time right now where they don't have a ton of pitching. And a lot of the pitching they do have is older and hurt or just not as good as it used to be. Chris Sale, Nathan Evaldi, who knows if David Price is even on the team at this point. Like, right. And you've got the ongoing public relations nightmare that is the, the Mookie Betts trade. And Ron's specialty was always, you know, keeping a harmonious clubhouse. We rarely heard anything bad coming out of the clubhouse for the Brewers in his tenure and keeping players together. And that was what he did really well. The in-game tactical stuff was not as good, though. I think that that also got overblown just because no managers were great tacticians back then or very few were great tacticians. I think we've seen a, a pretty big shift in terms of tactical management over the last even like since Ron was fired. So in the last like four or five years, we've seen a lot of shift, but over the last, you know, five to 10 years, we've seen a bunch of shift too. So I think that that was somewhat always unfair for holding him accountable for decisions that basically most managers would make. Uh, But it, it, we do see that he, his tactics, then the way he managed roster, then would not fit with cutting edge people. He like, Craig Council would run circles around him right now if he hasn't learned and if he hasn't sure. updated. And we have to see if if he has that and if he decides to do that. Even if he has, though, do the Red Sox in a division with the behemoth Yankees and a incredibly good Rays team, like probably the most underrated baseball team in in the league right now. Do they have what it takes to like compete toe to toe with those guys? I I kind of doubt it. So it right. does feel like a situation where he's been hired to be fired. Sure. Definitely feels kind of like a transitional thing, but who knows? Maybe he does better than expected. But, you know, you mentioned it's a tough division before you even get into that impossible roster situation. Um, you didn't even mention the Blue Jays are kind of trying to make a push too. you know, they signed Ryu in the offseason. They've got that base of young talent, so they could end up pushing the Red Sox too. Yeah, the Blue Jays winning 80 would not be a shock. Right, exactly. So I think that's just a very difficult situation. And, you know, this does kind of, at least to me, ring as a situation where maybe not hired to be fired, but at least like knowing he's a steady clubhouse hand, kind of already had a relationship. He was on that coaching staff already, which is sort of interesting, given the 
in investigation. I don't know if that means he didn't know what was going on or, you know, uh, what happens there. I think maybe that's also partially why they haven't officially announced the move yet, just in case he was somehow implicated. But Oh, that's been my assumption is they didn't want to hire him until they had a pretty good idea that he wasn't right. going to need to be fired <laughs> the minute right, exactly. that the, the report came out. Exactly. Uh, but this is sort of, you know, it sort of seems like a situation where um, – sort of similar to the NFL when you fire a coach and then like the trusted long-term assistant fills in as the interim. He's very much seems like the Wade Phillips defensive coordinator <laughs> filling in for a season. Cause you know, he's done it before kind of deal, but the who Joe knows? Philbin. yeah, exactly. So maybe he, you know, Joe Philbin's his way into another job or something like that. I think it is going to be interesting to see how much, if anything, he has learned, um, as far as managing analytically, because he has been in Boston for a while now. So, um, you know, maybe that turns into something. If not, I'm sure he's always got a spot on Joe Madden's staff in Anaheim. Well, <laughs> so. and it's a friendlier, considering what his major weaknesses were, the AL is a friendlier division when it comes to his tactical shortcomings. Sure. Yeah, you know, kind of like we, we were talking about the DH debate the other week. And, you know, if you can sort of just line them up and let them play, you know, Paul's point that, you know, the AL style kind of is more forgiving in terms of those lacking tactically. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, you don't have to worry about pinch hitting or bunting or stealing when you just have J.D. Martinez launching three run home runs. So, the big thing will be the bullpen because it was never his strong point And... Right. Boston does not have like an established like ninth inning stud. They were running basically closer by committee last year, right? They're kind yeah. of all over the place. So Which I think they ended up having kind of some people actually grab firm roles towards the end of the season, but it's not like, you know, for years they had Kimbrel and right. you know, they was just set. You knew what you had to, or who you had to get to, but I still think the AL style is even more forgiving. So you don't have bunts, which him bunting just a bunt was a major issue. And then you have, I think it is easier to manage a pitching roster and make those changes in the AL, especially now he gets to hide behind the three batter minimum, right? Like, Oh, he's struggling, but I had to have him face three batters. So that's how baseball goes now. Sure. No, I conspiracy corner. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, on the topic of the Red Sox, that kind of brings us to our Patreon questions for the week. Uh, Jay Google had one specifically about the Mookie Betts trade, where as we record this now, still not done, although maybe more hopeful than it was a couple of days ago. But, you know, that's still kind of an ongoing saga dragging out. But with the idea of Mookie Betts probably being traded kind of brings us to the question of Christian Yelich, or at least I think this is where Jay is getting at. Uh, his question for us this week would you rather trade a superstar at the end of a deal and gain financial flexibility and prospects or keep that superstar knowing he may not sign and you only get a comp pick after he leaves? Ryan, you go first. Okay. This all is dependent on where the team is in terms of their competition uh, level at the time when they have to make these decisions. So I think that you would hold off until the point where you were pretty sure that you weren't really going to be a competitive team for the remainder of that contract. And then you would have to start looking really seriously at moving a player. So it, it really does sort of depend on what your window looks like. Like if you are competing and you look like you could be a really good team, you're going to hold off 
as long as possible. That said, there is there is the reality now that if you look at what Mookie Betts brought back, if you look at like that return, people got really angry about it. And I guess I understand it because, yes, he is the second best player in baseball behind Mike Trout. And I get that. But the Red Sox were not trading Mookie Betts in perpetuity. They were trading Mookie Betts for one year on a you know, a pretty hefty salary. Like I think he's making 28 million or something this year, like still well below like what he's really worth, but not nothing. And something that a team has to like take into account too. And teams trade for contracts. Now they don't trade for players. So there, you're not going to get like a package of like three top end superstar prospects for a guy in that situation anymore. So, and it would kind of be the same thing with Yelich though. His contract does make him a a better commodity if they get like to that last year to move, he would be a better commodity at that point. But it's still, it's a very, very tricky situation because you are not going to get what I think we all like grew up with, right? As an understanding of what a superstar is worth in a trade, you know, the, the CC Sabathia trade, even though they got him for half a season, they had to give up Matt Laporta, who was legitimately like a top 25 prospect in baseball who busted, but, He was still legitimately that. And then other pieces as well, including Michael Brantley, who turned out to be really good. So those days are gone and they're not coming back because teams have figured out that you just don't do that and conduct business that way. So we will see the the complicating factor going specifically at the idea of Yelich here is the fact that there's very likely not going to be a season in 2022, his last contract year. And that's going to complicate the hell out of everything. And I don't even know exactly how that works. Like if the players union goes out on strike and that's it, the entire 2022 season is gone. Does that mean that like Christian Yelich is just like out, like the contract ends and and whatever, even though there wasn't a season played or do they get him for the next year? I don't think so. I can't imagine how that would work, but I don't even really know how all that works. So it's, it's going to be a tricky situation and they're really going to have to, to deal with it. And I know Paul thinks that Yelich could potentially get traded sooner rather than later because of that. But I still think they're going to be cautious in how they approach that. Right. Yeah. Brad, any uh, feeling either way, being the prospect guy, would you prefer to have the prospects, especially given the Brewers system concerns, or do you think you would ride it out with the superstar player as long as you could? I think the context of the situation that Ryan talks about is very important. Like I would be upset if I were a Boston fan, because even though the pitching is in flux, they still have cumulatively one of the best offenses in baseball uh, with between Benatendi, Devers, uh, J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts. Those are four players who can carry a lineup on their own when they're at the top of their game. And here you're trading an MVP to move, what, $60 million in contract when you work in David Price. So I get why their return is so minimal. But at the same time, Boston can still be competitive, and I would rather have that player. Now, if you're looking at where the Brewers were where the, when they traded Carlos Gomez type situation, then yes, I would trade Christian Yelich in that moment because the prospects in return are going to be more valuable to the team in the long run. In most situations, yes, then Christian Yelich is going to be in that season. Even if he does have an MVP season, then he's still isn't going to be enough if the team's in a bad place to carry them into the postseason and through a postseason on its own. So that's, I think, where the complication comes in. 
is you really have to measure where the competition is. Is uh, the division still as tense and tight as it was her is at this point when it comes time to trade Christian Yelich? Are the Brewers still able to get these one-year, two-year deals that keep them competitive? Um, if they're in a situation where they're just not playing well, even if the salary is low, yeah, trade Yelich. Uh, I don't think I think they got Yelich for her, the contract on purpose too. Um, I think it's unlikely that they want him past thirty because we know how far a player can fall after that progressive period, even the elite ones. So it becomes pretty difficult um, if the team's not being a competitive or in a competitive situation to justify having that player on the team. Sure. I think it definitely does kind of depend on the situation. As of now, you know, Boston decided or they, you know, Mookie Betts said, hey, I'm testing free agency regardless. You can keep me if you want. But he was intent on going to the free agent market and regardless of not the question on whether Boston's being cheap by just dumping salary now or not. Um, you know, well, I mean, they, hold on. They did too. get Verdugo and Bratterall back who are good, especially Verdugo is a good young player. Like there's nothing wrong with him. He's just not anywhere right. near what Mookie Betts is, but he's also right. under control for now five or six years. Like right. he has and it, all that time. And it becomes the question then of can those two players equal the eight war that Betts is putting out? I think together, yeah, they can. I mean, Gratterall would have to be really good. He'd have to be a good starter to make that work, right, in terms of war. Or Verdugo right. would have to, like, emerge into, like, being, like, a five- or six-win player. So I, I get think he ends right. up being, like, four-and-a-half to five because I really do like him. And then you only have to get three war out of the other end. Yeah, though right. you could also make the case that, considering what they're going to have to pay those guys... And I know right now they're trying to save money to get under the luxury tax and all that. But like theoretically, right. at least down the road, they could spend some of that money that they would have otherwise been spending on Mookie to get better players and round out the rest of their roster. So there's also that, too. When you're getting guys at that little salary and getting the production we think they can potentially get out of them, that has a benefit beyond like. You know, if you're if you have Mookie, yes, you have that that high win player, but you're also like the next contract Mookie's going to be making like 40 million a year. So you no right. longer have Mookie on the discount, which is what made him so valuable. Now it's you're going to be paying more of a market value for Mookie. And that's not as valuable. Like it just it isn't even no. if it's deserved. And it is. It's absolutely deserved for him to make that much money. And he should seek it. I'm not saying he shouldn't, mm -hmm. but it, it does change the calculus of the value. So, yeah, but like I said, still, it is a like as a fan base, I get why that's an incredibly painful thing to watch when you do have and maybe this makes them more expendable that they do have such a legitimate offense and good core right now in their lineup. Maybe that makes Mookie more expendable, actually, rather than being more important, because you do have a collection of five win hitters in your lineup. So maybe that's what makes him expendable to help the team increase its future and get sure things, players who have a season playing in the outfield, uh, pitchers who are a step away from the uh, majors versus players that you're drafting and hope become that level. So there's definitely increase in value to getting those players who are a half step away. Sure. As of now, though, you know, the deal is still kind of up in the air. You know, there were 
the rumors of the twins just backing out altogether, putting the entire thing in jeopardy. Uh, there's also the the side trade with the Dodgers and Angels with Jock Peterson that's kind of hinging on all of this. It's just kind of a big mess. Um, and we got a Twitter question from Steve who's kind of asking, how does a mega trade collapsing like this affect the clubhouses and the teams involved? Which I think is a very interesting question, especially now that we're only about a week or two away from camp starting ryan is that something you kind of want hanging over the head of the team as you had in the spring training i mean yeah it's it's not ideal but i think that somebody in a position like mookie Betts, i don't think that he's going to show up and be like some sort of a malcontent or something because this is where he's been for a long time he's respected and beloved uh by the city and i can't imagine like it being a real problem that way he knows he's headed to free agency next year like that isn't so if he's with the boston red sox this year okay well i'm headed to free agency and that's fine i don't see how that would really be a big issue so i mean with certain players maybe it could be and at hell i don't know mookie bets at all maybe it would be with him but i just it's hard to imagine right like i don't see how that would really be a problem yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ideal <laughs> by any stretch, um, but it does kind of depend on the scenario. I think maybe the issue kind of comes along with the the second tier players in the trade, right? Like your Verdugo's not knowing where he's going or even Jock Peterson, you know, by all accounts, liking being on the Dodgers. But if Mookie's there, he's gone, you know, um, kind of throws that dynamic into a loop. But Well, and the guy that you feel bad for is Gratterall because his medical issues have now been put front and center in front of the public though right let's be honest we all knew that those issues were there like if you're a, a dynasty baseball player you knew that like Bruce Gratterall had issues with both his shoulder and elbow like that was not an unknown thing now sure. it's kind of big time public knowledge but it's not new information sure uh moving on more patreon questions we do have a ton so thanks for everybody who who signed up for patreon and sent in the questions grant has a question specifically kind of going back to the production discussion uh comparing yasmani grandal and omar narvaez um he's asking is it fair to expect pretty similar offensive production from what we got last year out of catcher out of narvaez and how do you see his numbers playing up going from seattle's ballpark to milwaukee brad do you want to take this one first yeah i think when we got narvaez the big excitement was in terms of pit her catchers who were available he was the most comparable to grandal in terms of his offensive output plus he's getting the lefty boost coming to miller park so i think yeah absolutely you can expect a pretty similar offensive output the shortcoming is right now we're expecting a pretty strict platoon or so with uh Manny Pena because we know Narvaez has defensive shortcomings that are going to limit his kind of positive production on the field. So we know the offense is there. We know it's fantastic. And if any catcher in the league was going to be a fit replacement offensively for Yasmani Grandal, Narvaez was it. So absolutely. But it, the question comes in how many played appearances, aside from like a JT Real Muto, uh, players that were actually available. The question comes, how many played appearances is he going to be able to get in? And I don't think it's going to be nearly as many as Grant Dahl get in. And that's where the shortcoming comes in, in terms of offensive production. It's not going to be a one for one, but in terms of things you could have done this offseason that weren't signing us, Monty Grandal, and realistically could have accomplished, Narvaez is as good as you were going to get offensively, purely. 
Yep. And they will, I think, to your point, that they're going to take away some at-bats from Narvaez for defense for Pena. I think we're going to see Narvaez start games and Pena coming in maybe in the 7th, 8th, ninth inning on a not infrequent basis to get a better defender, better pitch framer out there for their bullpen. So when they're holding maybe a, a tight lead. So I think he's Which- going to lose... He's going to lose plate appearances that way too. Besides just the platooning starting issue, which I do which think you're right that they're keeping a third catcher as the 26th roster man, right? Well, I think we'll see 26th man. I, I think we'll see catchers on there. I think we'll see you know Freitas and uh, Nottingham, depending on who's doing well and whatever. I think we will see that at various times, but I think that it it's not going to be like every single day there's going to be a third catcher on the roster. But I council has shown a flexibility and a willingness to use his backup catcher, even when he doesn't have a third because of that crazy, insane mental game that old school managers had where they're like, but what if my second catcher gets injured? Like, what if anything happens? It's a game <laughs> of baseball. Anything can happen. Like, yeah, yeah, what if? Well, and they always had Hernan Perez to step in. Oh, and like, yeah. Who's the emergency catcher this year? That's the big question. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Avasail uh, Garcia, behind catcher. Uh, <laughs> no, I want Garcia. I want to see Garcia's arm behind the plate. That'd be fun. But yeah, I think both of your guys are are right. You know, offensively, it's as close. It's as good as they were ever going to get to keeping Grandall. And I think you know, don't underrate Manny Pena's ability to hit lefties. You know, he's shown to be really solid in that department too. So when you combine those two together, I think offensively, the drop off I don't think is going to be as big as feared. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, Narvaez is projected at two seventy two. 347, 437. That is taking a hit in both the on-base percentage and mm-hmm. the slugging departments. Right. But it is a boost in the, the batting average department, which is something, at least. It's not huge, but it, sure. it's something, at but least. So I think it kind of goes to the one of the common themes of the additions this year, too, has been kind of uh, not a big focus, but more of a focus on contact, too. You know, like a lot of these guys that they're signing... Uh, on base skills may not be great, but bat to ball skills are slightly improved too, which I think kind of hints at maybe a strategic change as well. Yeah, it very well could be. Also, right. Manny Pena is potentially even a little better than league average as a catcher. Right. Like he's still a good catcher, especially when you work in his defensive things. I know we get very concerned because Yasmani Grandal was probably the second best catcher in all of baseball. Um, when you look at total ability to output behind Real Muto. But Manny Pena is still better than 50% of what the league's working with behind the plate. Yeah, I mean, sure. he's definitely yeah. an elite backup at the very worst, or I think, you know, a solid rotational catcher. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we have to worry too much about that at all. Um, shifting focus to the bullpen, uh, PV Brew Crew asking on Patreon. Who will make the biggest impact on the 2020 bullpen between Bobby Wall, JP Fireisen, or Devin Williams? Brad, do you want to take this one, considering some of the uh, minor league names here we may not be familiar with? I want to go with Devin Williams. Um, I think his fastball is better than it's ever looked, and his changeup continues to be an elite pitch. Um, I think you know those multiple innings that he can provide are going to be very valuable to the bullpen. Um, 
And while I'm nervous coming off of, you know, a somewhat shaky appearance in the major leagues in the time he got in 2018, and then coming a full year off of injury, uh, that gives me hesitance. And Fire Ryzen, uh, still good, but I mean, Devin Williams has more upside, so I want, I'm more excited about him. Yeah, I think Devin Williams is a good shout there. Uh, Bobby Wall is also very interesting to me just because we know they really liked him and they they had him, I think, really penciled in for a potential impact role in 2019 before the injury happened. And so I think that we'll see them give him a shot to really do things with the team this year. So I I think both uh, both of those two. And yeah, Fire Eisen is just less of a, a sure thing at this point. We just don't know as much. Sure. Kind of a surprising 40-man ad over the offseason, but obviously a sign that they really like them. And also, as everybody knows, we are big Bobby Wall fans here on the program. So good question. Um, Darren Jones asking on Patreon, do you think infielder Mark Mathias is likely to get meaningful playing time in the majors this season, Ryan? If he does, something has gone wrong. (laughs) Horribly, horribly wrong. Or I guess there's like that 5% chance that like he actually just had like a massive breakout and out of nowhere, like all of a sudden dude is fantastic. So he gets the Eric Sogard hot streak going yeah. or something like that. It's it's a always have he... like that one player, right. Who has like a one amazing, amazing season. And then just like the brewers are like, we're going to rely on him for next season. He's going to be great. And next, he never like plays meaningful baseball ever, ever again. So yeah, it could be him, but also a meteor could crash through my head right now. And, you know, lots of things are possible. (laughs) Lots of things are possible. Hey, Tyler Saladino hit grand slams in back-to-back games last year. So anything is possible. Uh, Yeah, I think we're kind of all on the same page. If if Mark Mathias gets significant playing time, that means, you know, two or three or maybe even four other people have failed or gotten hurt ahead of him. So obviously we don't hope that's going to happen, but, you know. A meteor could crash through Brad's head. Yeah. <laughs> Chad Fairs asking um, another minor league question. So we'll go to you, Brad. Uh, Chad Fairs says the Nats moved their single A team about 30 minutes from his house. So he's going to see the Mudcats play this summer against that team. He's wondering who on the Mudcats roster should he bug for an autograph as a potential star for the future. He's trying to turn his son into a Brewers fan while living in Nats country. Get in very quickly. Get Ethan Small and Bryce Terang before they leave. Yeah. But yeah, they're probably not going to spend much time in Carolina this year. It's right? easy. They're going to start in Carolina. Ethan Small is probably not going to spend much time there. Uh, Terang, it depends on his performance, but he is very high risk to get out of there quickly. Bust down the door and get their autographs. Yeah, I would say those guys definitely. Uh, Antoine Kelly could potentially be there, and that would be if he makes it there. I would go see him because dude You're throws Kelly gas yeah yeah throws- uh, i don't think yeah i think that's a very that would be end of the season if it happens because he has so much to work on with his second pitches um but yeah if he gets there for sure cool so there you go your your auto- hot autograph tips here on milwaukee's tailgate podcast <laughs> um oh by the way i want to so, go back for a second here because yeah. i did look it up i thought oh hey i could look up what mark matthias's 99 projection is Oh, on no. uh on yeah <laughs> i've got it uh so they have him hitting i just want to make sure that i'm on the right column here these 99 uh, projections are wild wild stuff 
Uh, they have him, and, and again, this is if everything goes as well as you could possibly imagine, they have him hitting 312, 409, 555. Hey, that's better than Keston Hira. <laughs> but I think it's, hold on, I think it's in only 112 plate appearances. How? <laughs> I mean, if he's, if he's hitting that, he's only getting 112 plate appearances. I guess maybe he came up like late in the season and that happened, but yeah, that would be, they're, they're going to play him like these blowout games where triple a pitchers or like only position players are pitching and they're going to be like go out there you'll get it and then he's going to like have phenomenal numbers just against hernan perez's and right yeah there we go <laughs> hernan will be pitching for the cubs mark mathias will come up hit a grand slam you know 99th percentile stuff <laughs> i'm gonna die be a meteor <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that is the episode title, just so you know. There we, yeah. <laughs> a, meteor might, a meteor could crash through Brad's head. That's a great summary of the Pagoda <laughs> All right. Uh, more Patreon questions. Another one from Jay. I don't know if you guys saw this, but he's asking just how brutal are the spring training hats? They're uh, so bad. These things are hideous. Who's, who's buying these? Um, so if you haven't seen them yet, it's basically like some graphic designer slept through the deadline and had to get something in and just slapped teams, two primary logos together without any tact or style to it. Uh, the Brewers is going to be that ball and glove logo, but they're going to have the barley wheat seams, but it's not inside any lines. It just looks hideous. Uh, Brad can't keep a straight face. It's so bad right now. I don't know. Ryan, what are your thoughts on these? I've not actually seen it. So I, okay. I should go look at it. what you Brewers should Google it. It's, okay. And the Brewers aren't even the most offensive one. Like, no. Oh, I saw the Padres one. Look, there's, there's like two that look okay. Yeah. And then the rest are just. I think the Braves are fine. They had the A with the, the tomahawk wrapping through it. That looks okay. But like the Orioles had like a weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like the bird face. It's the bird face superimposed on top of the swinging bird, but the lines don't match up at all. It's just it's a like mess. It's like the shining. It's like the bird shining. They're like, it's time for Oriole season, knocking through right. the door. It yeah. is. I it's work bad. in marketing. I work in graphic design, and this is what happens when you let other people screw with your brands. Obviously, <laughs> this is like Major League Baseball. It's like, oh, we're going to make these cool hats. We'll just throw these really hard together and see what happens. And no, it's, just yeah. the Brewers are doing so such good things with their brands. Just let them control it. Stop it. Trying to make your bad designs a thing, Major League Baseball. Yeah. Oh, this also is... gave us all white uniforms. So it's not as bad as those hats with the player faces that looked like they were from <laughs> Beavis and Butthead that came out <laughs> the other week. But it's uh, bad. Yeah. I mean, did they like ask to rostify this by 5%? Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Like, like this is yeah this is definitely like committee like thinking like we're gonna take it we're gonna throw all these ideas together because they're all individually good ideas and we're yeah. just gonna make it one thing and oh my god yeah two not good, good logos smashed together does not make one good logo I think no. is the lesson we all learned here I will not be purchasing this hat I hope it goes away forever but you know it's money <laughs> um. On a different note, so Grant is also asking on Patreon, uh, Ryan, he wasn't able to go last year, but are you guys planning on doing another event or tailgate for a Brewers game again this year? Yeah, I think we will be doing something like that. We'll we'll firm up decisions later on down the road as to how we're going to approach that. But 
this year we have everybody at least relatively close to town, so we should be able to do something like that. So, yep, uh, keep listening, keep tuned in, yep. and we will make announcements once we decide exactly how we're going to handle that. Exactly. Yes. So stay tuned on that. Some more Twitter questions this week. I said we had a lot, so we're still turning through these. Uh, kind of going back to that Christian Yelich discussion, how would you guys feel? This is from Brew Crew fan in California. He asked, how would you guys feel about a long-term deal with Christian Yelich at this point, given the near-term payroll room and the mutual good feelings, Ryan? I mean, if they have a way that they want to do things that involves Christian Yelich on what I assume would be like $40 million a year through his mid thirties at a minimum, if they have a way that they can make that work and that it makes sense for them. Great. Have at it. I, I have no issues, but I'm also not going to assume that they actually have uh, room within the, whatever budget constraints they have put on themselves is the charitable way to say that, I guess. <laughs> Key phrasing, yes. Yeah, like that that they can actually do that. I don't have any doubt that they could, like in a vacuum, afford it, that there's they, they could do it, but does it fit with their realistic plan of how they're actually going to, you know, structure their payroll? I have doubts that it really would work. But if they think that they can make that work and can, and, and that's what they want to do, Fantastic. Have at it. I'm just not going to demand it because I think given what we know, it's it's questionable that they could. So, OK, sure. And like I alluded to earlier, I think they acquired him with the very specific purpose of playing him through his five years that they had when they got him. I think the plan was five years. Cool. Then we'll see you because we don't want to deal with any regression you deal with after you hit that very particular 31 plus age. Um after that, go get your money and we'll figure the rest out on our own. See ya. But if they did sign him to like five years, 180 right now, I'd be pretty happy. And I they definitely, definitely would be. But that yeah. that's not looking super realistic at this point, right? No, like it, given given no. what Mike Trout signed for, what Mookie's gonna be looking for, I think that's probably gonna set the market. And that's you know No, even, and he's gonna want more financial like assurance, right? Like he'd want right. like ten years. Um yeah. I mean, like adding 15 million on to what you're making over the next three seasons and then having a guaranteed about 7 million or 70 million after that, I think would make most players happy. But given Yelich's performance that he can get more and he why can, wouldn't you? Yeah, he right. can get way more than that. And yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a five year extension from now, yeah, I, I have no idea why he would do that i can no, see. i was saying uh like a five-year rewrite i would say right yeah that's yeah i can't imagine why he would do that i yeah. could see potentially if they came to him and said hey we're gonna pay you uh we'll do a, a 200 million dollar five-year extension after this deal ends and we'll pay you some of the money we'll pay you additional money up front as part of it signing bonuses maybe we'll up your salaries over the next few years by somewhat to to make that happen uh, I could see that happening. It's basically what they did with Ryan Braun, right? Because they had a Ryan yeah. Braun original contract was eight years. And then they tacked on the five years to the end of it and gave him some additional money during the, the first years of it. And that's essentially what they did, though. That was a homegrown player situation and a guy who I think pretty clearly just like did want to stay in Milwaukee. Like that was part of his goal was to be like Milwaukee's superstar. And right. 
I don't know that maybe that's Yelich. We, we don't really know. But given like the indications, because isn't he doing all kinds of like uh, promotion marketing stuff? Right. Yeah. So there was that article in the Wall Street Journal uh, in the past week kind of about how baseball has struggled to find that face of baseball, right? I mean, we all know Eric Sogard is the face of baseball, but aside from that, um, you know, they were c- talking about that, that looking for that transcendent talent that you could put in commercials like Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, you know? Um, and the Wall Street Journal had actually kind of tabbed Christian Yelich as that based on the you know, guest appearances on TV shows, the marketing campaigns, the ESPN body issue spreads, that kind of thing. So, and they actually talked to Christian and he was talking about kind of wanting that. So um, not that that's impossible in a market like Milwaukee. Clearly he's doing all of this already. Um, You know, you see it with Giannis a little bit in the NBA too. Like you can be a marketable star in Milwaukee, but is that going to be his long-term landing point i think it's fair to question if milwaukee's the best spot for him to make that happen right you can be a much bigger star in other places like i don't think that's really an arguable point obviously you can be a bigger star in new york than you can be in milwaukee it's just new york and more la yeah him being a california guy you know (laughs) does he end up on the dodgers or angels or whatever too yeah and I think he absolutely would sign that extension because we're definitely in an era where location matters substantially less than it did in say right. the early 2000s, the Jeter A-Rod era of baseball. Exactly. But I just don't think the opportunity is going to present itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. will the team decide to do that is the big thing, and I just can't see it. Melvin no. era, I could imagine it happening. Stearns era, not as much. I mean, if you're talking about a $40 million a year average, which I think probably by then would probably be the minimum for someone of his caliber, unless the Brewers significantly up what they're willing to pay, to use Ryan's words, that's, you know, one third of the payroll, you know, like that's just untenable for roster building purposes, especially with the state of the farm system right now, too. So I think, yeah, it, it's kind of unlikely that they even seriously consider that. Did Brian Braun era help that at all? Does losing that one guaranteed player who you've had on your team for more than a decade making elite money, does that make it more feasible? I mean, maybe you have another situation where Doug Melvin many moves ago chose Ryan Braun over Prince Fielder as the one to lock up, right? So maybe it's like Keston Hero you lock up to extend and be that face after, you know, it's, it's so hard to say two, three years down the line. I mean, this is jumping ahead to a question we haven't been answered, but brought up based on James's point. I don't think it's unreasonable that we see a Keston hero, like seven year, eight year extension in even possibly before the season gets going, because that's how baseball has been trending, right? Is you lock up these guys to what you can get them for like eight years, like 40 million. Sure. Yeah. You know, like you saw um, Arizona did that with Cattell Marte before last season. And he ended up like exploding right as one of the game superstars last year. So that what can work Al- out. What Albie signed for like next to exactly. nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The Braves have done that with a lot of their core and yeah. now they're really set up for the next five, six, seven years. You know, I think I think that's where an extension would go beforehand because there's affordable money there. And then you even let uh, Urias play a full season. And if he looks like he can be the star that is supposed, you can do the same thing there. I think it's more likely that Stern spends his money in that way 
in those in lock getting three free agency years by locking up arbitration years and paying people more during their early uh, major league years than them going full out and signing a superstar. Yeah, March and April is extension season, especially March. Mm-hmm. So we'll right. see. I mean, hell, it really even does start in February, too. You'll start to see once teams really get their arbitration stuff taken care of, then right. the focus kind of shifts to that. And they start looking at, well, what can we do and like to get cost certainty on these guys for the future and lock up additional years beyond our standard control years. So we'll see. It would not shock me even one bit to see Brandon Woodruff extended or... Keston Hero extended. It would shock me to see Josh Hader extended. Like, yes. Yeah. That's the volatility is exponentially higher. Right. Right. Um, what about eight years for Bryce Terang? <laughs> <laughs> that, that way you don't have to worry about when you bring him up. I, I'd like to see him hit a, a home run first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, over like 900 plate appearances. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe you get him to that eight-year contract. He finally has the money to, you know, lift some weights and eat some food or something. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to thank you all for all of your questions this week, uh, especially uh, those of you that asked on Patreon. A reminder, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove of, and above level get the monthly minor league extra podcast, which, guys, did I hear right that you're planning to record the next one soon? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tuesday night, we and we will have, have a guest. Oh, we're having a guest. Do we care to? That's what we call a tease in the biz. Do you do you care to share details on that right now, or will we have to wait and see? I think let's do a wait and see. Okay, that okay. makes it more fun. You know, you'll All get right. a teaser. All right. So to see who the special guest is this month on the Minor League Extra podcast, you're going to have to sign up for Patreon, uh, become a ball and glove level. Uh, sponsor and you know you do that you get the minor league extra you also get a question priority every week when we answer these questions here on the milwaukee's tailgate podcast uh ryan do you want to run through our new patrons for the week and give them a shout out yes we just had one this week it slowed down a little bit but i'm sure it'll pick up once we get into spring training again tim braun who has been a follower on twitter and at we've all had interactions with him at various times signed up and became a patreon sponsor so thank you to tim Awesome, Tim. Thank you for, for joining us, and we look forward to your questions, and thank you for your support. Also, while we're making announcements here, we were talking just before we started rolling here, we will be doing the Milwaukee's Tailgate Fantasy League again this year. And again, our highest level, the $10 patrons will get priority access to that league. You get first dibs, basically a guaranteed shot. After that, we kind of just go down the list, uh, other patrons, that kind of stuff. Uh, Ryan talked brad and myself into competing this year i'm terrible at fantasy baseball so if you want to beat one of the smart guys talking by all means sign up you will beat me um i'm really bad at it but we'll give it a shot i would imagine paul will be in too we haven't confirmed but i would imagine it'll be uh paul in as well so yeah paul's in yeah paul's probably gonna win it chance (laughs) yeah yeah none of us have a chance but uh be sure to stay tuned uh another tease as we say uh more details will be announced with that in the coming weeks so be sure to be tuned in for that and follow us on twitter for those kind of announcements um even if you're not a patron you can still send us questions via twitter to our twitter feed at mke tailgate you can also send an email to milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com 
or on our Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network Facebook page. Uh, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you listen to those podcasts. Please do subscribe. And while you're there, please leave us a review to help other people find the podcast and let us know what we could do better. Brad, thank you very much for stepping in for Paul this week. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks yeah. for giving me airtime. I know the people are afraid, but here I am. Oh, you know, you know, anytime we didn't really get to Brad's conspiracy corner this week. So, you know, we'll 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 save that for another time. But in the meantime, look out for those meteors. <laughs> It'd be a shame to lose you after after this appearance. So heads up for those meteors. And in the meantime, thanks for everybody for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.